All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 213 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Botano. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now with Botano.ca. I'm Jason Greger. We welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. And uh, Frank, so far... Teams facing elimination are 3-0, and and uh, Tampa Bay and Winnipeg will try to extend that tonight. Uh, opportunities for Toronto to end their uh, lengthy uh, series-winning drought, and uh, Vegas to, uh, to get maybe a little bit of extra rest in the West Division. And, uh, of course, uh, lots on the line, as always, in the National Hockey League, um, but uh, only those two games and the pivotal Game 5 between the Rangers and the uh, Devils. So let's start, though, with... Um, with Toronto-Tampa, because there's some interesting storylines there, obviously trying to slay the dragon known as Tampa Bay. And also you have uh, Toronto opting to uh, rest uh, Michael Bunting, who was fifth on their team in scoring. Yeah, rest, bench, whatever word you want to use. Sit, healthy scratch. Yeah. Um, Jettison. I'm, little, I'm surprised <laughs> by this move. I, I mean, I think it's a mistake. You're taking a player that has 112 points over the last two seasons and 47 goals out of your lineup. I think there's a lot of really simple decisions to make and ways to work him back in. I understand how coaches can be superstitious. We've had a winning mix. We've had the right approach. We're going to stick with the guys that have gotten us to this point in the series. I also understand the emotion that comes with Michael Bunting, he has a high motor. 
he gets wound up. And at the same time, he's crossed the line and obviously gotten suspended. I would put him back in the lineup just for the sheer purpose of trying to get the lightning off their game. Like the, he's, he's so involved in everything that they're going to spend a bit of time chasing him around. Uh, well, I do not wonder. to mention the talent. Like he, he's a, he's a scorer. Like, yeah, we're going to get in a little bit later on to free agency, but I, I, uh, he is a pending UFA. So I just, uh, that's, he was the number one free agent on my board. I think that's going to change now uh, because it was so close with him and some other people. But when I, when I put out my top, you know, free agents board, you know, a couple weeks ago, Bunting was number one and people all turned a side eye to that saying, are you nuts? Are you, are you crazy? Michael, I'm saying, look at the class. The class of free agents is no bueno. Yeah, so it's uh, that'll be an interesting thing to watch for. But a huge opportunity for Toronto. There's lots of storylines that you know they've solved Vasilevsky. I've you know seen goalie people talking about you know lots of shots through traffic. Yeah, Derek Lalonde say that basically they feel he's you know what they found he's not great at traffic. Uh, you know, seeing stuff through traffic. You had John Cooper respond and say, well, uh, you know maybe you got to get it right. So there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of extra juice to this one. Oh, I mean, first off. Uh, we had Derek Newsy Lalonde on our pod a while back when he was first named coach of the Red Wings. What's he? Why wait? Like, I understand that he's a former Tampa assistant, but why wade into the muck? Like, why feel like you are revealing secrets? I don't think anyone's happy in this situation. I don't think Steve Eiserman's happy. I don't think the Lightning are happy. John Cooper is clearly not happy. Like, he seems to have touched the third rail of the guest visiting analyst uh, role here, which is like your job is to not get hit. That's really what your role is. Hit by what? Oh, you mean like by Just hit by anyone? Like you like yeah. You're like your job is to not get hit. No. Be play nice in the sandbox, and I love the like what well, he believes. Well, the fans love it though. That's the thing. He gave insight, and people were like, "Oh, I like this." Well, he may have carved out a career for himself. Uh, whenever, you know, the coaching carousel stops spinning, but I don't know. Uh, then, so like, there's been this weird tit for tat going on in media availabilities between the Leafs and Lightning too. I don't know if you've keyed in on that. Oh, I have. But like, the Lightning hadn't had Vasilevsky speak and then the Leafs were like, okay, well, if Vasilevsky isn't speaking, then we're not going to have our guy, Ilya Samsonov speak, even though he's so affable and like is inviting reporters over to his stall on a daily basis, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So then Vasilevsky finally speaks on Wednesday and he actually gives a money quote. There was like, you were just talking about the traffic. I don't know if you saw it. He goes, how, the, the question was, how can you better handle traffic? He says, I don't know, get some fucking x-ray glasses. Like, he's like, I, I, he goes, I don't know. And then the Leafs, they go, yeah, whatever. Samsonov magically came off the ice five minutes before practice ended. And by the time reporters were in there, he had, quote, gone home. Yeah, which is always a classic. So, um, you know, I don't what, know. If, like, it, come on, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, like why? Why do you have it so you're you know an important player who who really has never like some guys aren't comfortable talking to the media and usually as a media guy over time I'm like well I don't even want to talk to the guy because he's uncomfortable doesn't make for good so you don't do it very often Sam Sono's not that guy 
He's never had a problem with it. it. It's purely just gamesmanship, and they think that it means something, which it doesn't. And it has zero, like, let me repeat and underline, zero impact on the series. Yeah, not And the result. Now, the uh, Jets, speaking of another team trying to stave off elimination, right now they're just trying to stave off the Grim Reaper. Man, they got injuries galore all over the yeah. place. And it's just, like, I By get, the way, can we, like, before we move on to the Jets, what happens if the Leafs lose game five? Oh, people will be beside. I'm sure there will be overreaction in Toronto. Oh, they're going to choke it. I'm like, it's one game. Um, Boston lost game five. We saw, um, you know, th- the Carolina at home lost game five. They wouldn't be the first one. So they would not know. be the first one this playoffs and definitely not the first one ever. I think lose game five, your chance of losing the series goes from 10% to 50 if you don't close them out in game five, you're inviting in all the demons. Yes. And if, if you any, like, can anyone, demons. like, I can envision Tampa winning on home ice in game six. Oh, sure. Forcing game seven. Like, and then all of a sudden, how tight will those sphincters be in Scotiabank Arena if there's a game seven? Well, I think the fans would probably be more than the players. Like once the game starts, I've talked really? to so many players that did you, you know, watch the Leafs in Game One? Yeah, well, Game One, sure, they were bad, but um, Tampa. The thing about Tampa Bay is, I don't like the series says three to one. I, I don't think this is a three-one series. You know what? If if anything, if you just watched the games and didn't know the final score, like you didn't see the you know result. Just by pure play, you would say that Tampa has been the better team in three of the four games. But I will say this. Tampa Bay also gassed a three-goal lead in the final 11 minutes. Three-goal lead in 11 minutes. It's, it's terrible. It's, I think it's the underreported fact amid this Leaf celebration and, and pure love fest has been which like by the way like have you ever seen a fan base celebrate three wins before like i've never seen anything like it um i get all that comes with it like you know sort of reversing the four to one from 10 years ago against the bruins and you know it feels like the demons have been slayed i i just it's it's a lot to take in and they haven't done anything yet they haven't won anything yet no, but I get why fans are supposed to celebrate. I'm never going to tell fans. No, not I, to get that's not, it's, it, yeah, that's not what I'm saying is like they shouldn't. All I'm saying is like, it feels like there's been such, like, I feel like the focus has been lost on what the playoffs really are in Toronto because it's always been about getting over the hump for round one. That it's almost like, I'll be really curious to see if they do get through, which I fully expect them to. What do they look like next round against the Bruins? Are they just happy to be there? Do they feel like mission accomplished? Because that's really what has built up in this city and organization for so long now is get over the hump of round one. You're still 12 wins from the cup. True, but you have to start there, right? Like I think sometimes people get lost in the journey of the Stanley Cup. I don't agree. I don't agree even slightly. Yeah, well, we'll disagree on that because to me, too often, everybody focuses on, well, well, it's all about the cup. There's only one cup winner. 
And it doesn't mean everybody else is an unmitigated failure if you don't win. But for in order to win the cup, you have to win round one. And when you're a team that hasn't won round one forever, and you've had some devastating losses where you've led series and gassed them, uh, I think for a fan base specifically, I get why. They also have the largest fan base in the league, so you see more. I think that plays a factor for sure. But for the organization... lost the plot. But for the organization, if the players think that way, it's an issue. If the fans think that way, to me, that's irrelevant. I, I just it feels like they've lost the plot. If if winning one round is any modicum or mark you know mark of success, like how many teams win a round every year that we never even talk about? The Carolina Hurricanes have won a round three consecutive years. They're, it's about to be four, I think. Well, yeah, because they, like if Toronto had won three in a row, I don't think there'd be the same focus. They can't win the first round. That's why it's a story. Yeah, but then we've never talked about the Canes or anyone else as like, hey, look, like, wow, that's amazing, or what an accomplishment or feat. Like, we, we don't do that. Well, I think for because the Canes, the Canes would probably, unfortunately, are the worst example because they're they were the ultimate. They'd either go to the Stanley Cup final, lose it or win it, and then miss the playoffs for years. It was amazing from 2002 through until like 2011. The Canes were like, we can go to the third round or we'll finish 26th. It was amazing to me. Like, I'd never seen it. What does that have to do with what I'm saying? Well, because the fact that we're not being like, wow, what an accomplishment winning one round is. But who's saying that? They're fans? Of course they're fans, should say it. Has any national, like, how many people? Yeah, that's all. The only discourse I've heard is win a round, win one round, got to get through the first round. Like, who cares? <laughs> Honestly, who cares? Yeah, well, at least if you, if you lose to the Boston Bruins in round two, it does not matter. True. But if it's you lose one the- more year of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and all these guys in their absolute prime that you accomplished nothing. Yeah. Well, accomplishing the first round is something. It's not the fi- it's not the finishing goal, but it's it's step one. I do. They will celebrate their fans like it's the Cup final, maybe for other cities, and and I get that. But that's but that also, Frank, is why to me it makes it fun because opposing opposing fan bases want to see them lose even more because of it. They become the heel. And there's always in sports, you always need a heel. It's fun. People will cheer. Opposing fans will cheer for the least to lose because of how big their fan base is. That's fine. I, I, I get it. I just, it'd be really interesting to see how they come out in, game, in round two if, yeah. if they win. Well, actually, I, I think they might be a better matchup for Boston than Florida is. Florida is a tough matchup for I them agree. right now. I, I was like, just saying that, I think, before you hopped in that. Florida is willing to play a physical game that I think Toronto isn't, at least to this point. And I think Boston is going to have more space to yeah. operate. But there's an, hey, the fact that if Boston and Toronto do both win, um, you know, that just adds a storyline because that's the organization that has absolutely ripped the heart of the Leafs <laughs> on numerous occasions. So it, it adds to it. Like you, from a storyteller's perspective, you couldn't have asked for two better rounds if they get past Tampa, is Tampa and, uh, and Boston. Now, um, the other games tonight, of course, uh, the Jets in Vegas and God love Winnipeg. It, it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, you know, you have a Toronto team that most other Canadian fan bases can't stand. Nobody really hates the Jets. The Jets have never really won. Um, they're the plucky, smaller market. Um, they play hard. And injuries, though, right now, Frank, that's, that is killing the Jets. I, I, I just don't see how you're going to overcome so many injuries now with Mark Shifley as well. Yeah, it's Josh Marcy that's the killer. Like, 
that's that's the one I don't think you can overcome. Uh, you know, Shifley, you ask more from Pierre Luc Dubois or whoever it may be to help your team take on a bigger role. I I'm sorry, like inserting Logan Stanley into the lineup and asking the rest of your group to chew off more minutes. It's not a recipe for success. Not the way this Jets blue line is built. Morrissey sort of stood out, you know, it's Pionk the next rung down. And then it's a huge drop, I think between their next defenseman in terms of impact on the game. So missing him hurts. And it also just kind of feels like as, you know, as sort of methodical as game one was for them and their win, it kind of feels like the shine has worn off too on the jets. Doesn't it? Like they just don't seem to have, you know, yeah, they had the comeback and, and all that stuff, but like they just don't seem to have the juice um, behind them right now. I don't know what, if it's a belief thing, whatever it might be like they, I'm not feeling it. Are you? No. Well, especially now you, you, you Nikolai Ehlers, I think is another guy that that's really an engine that, that you take him and Shifley, any team who loses two of your top six guys, I just think guys can step up for a game or two. And Adam Lowry has like kudos to Adam Lowry. He's had a great series for Winnipeg, but I just find that the trickle down effect of the bottom parts of your lineup uh, hurt you and you know hell the, the only way I think they win tonight is if Hellebuck goes like the, how he played in, in 2021 against the uh, the orders when he just stood on his head and the orders were out shooting them every game and Hellebuck was winning and that, that's how they're gonna have to win tonight uh, um, you know maybe they can light up uh, Vegas for a lot of goals I'd be surprised I think it's more so they're gonna have to win a low scoring game and Hellebuck's gonna have to be the story he's gonna have to be Bobrovsky to Boston because Bobrovsky kept that series alive, and Hellebuck's going to have to do the same. The problem is he's looked more like Vasilevsky. Yeah, well, no, that's fair. But the thing about those goalies is he's under have... he's under 900 save percentage, and he's allowed 14 goals in four games. Yeah. Oh, and I know. He hasn't been. And take out game one where he only gave up one. It's 13 in the last three. Yeah. And I, and I do think that the you know lack of Morrissey impacts the quality chances he faces. But Hellebuck, game three, I think, is the one for sure. He would say there were some saves he would like back. The thing about the great goaltenders, and I do put him in that category, I think he's definitely you know top seven, top five goalie in the league, is, and we saw it last year with Vasilevsky. Through the first four games of that series, he wasn't very good. And then he stood on his head uh, when it mattered. So Hellebuck's shown he can do it in the past, but he's going to have to do it tonight. Like Bobrovsky, how many people thought Bobrovsky would play the way he did last night in Florida? It's really in interesting to hear Paul Maurice's explanation to saying this is a pressure-packed game, and I'm going with Bobrovsky. And I mean, he's a two-time Vezina winner. To think that he can't play good for a stretch of time, like it's it's a that's a fallacy. Yeah, and I think Hellebuck's the same thing. So that's those teams who have those guys, they're hard outs because if that goalie finds his game. That's a real problem, right? Vasilevsky, Bobrovsky, Hellebuck. You look at those te- guys on teams that are trailing in series, that's a pretty big advantage. So I do want to talk about the Panthers for just a second, even though their stay here might be short. Um, if I were drafting a team from scratch in the NHL right now, I have a hard time thinking that Matthew Kachuk is going to go outside of the top three or five players selected. Like he, I think he's that good. Oof. 
Like, even look at, like, so I love Paul Maurice's explanation post-game. Did you hear it about the goal that he scored for the, w- yeah. the winner? And he said, there's 700 players in this league, and 640 of them would have gotten nervous and jammed it right into the player's shin pads right in front of the net as he's trying to protect the crease for Olmark. And he took the extra second, waited, and, and then put it in on his backhand. Like, that guy is a lion, Matthew Kachuk. Oh. Yeah, he's good, but I think if, if you're doing a draft, I don't think he's in the top five. Of skaters? Yeah. Are we clue, are forwards or defense? Like all skaters, not, oh, not no, he's not in my top five. You could dry saddle McDavid and McKinnon for sure. Like those guys are top eight all time in playoff scoring. As yeah, and people, then you've man, got McCarr, and I get it. But like out, yeah. outside of that, like I, I Kachuk is like like to me, he's up there. Yeah. Oh no, he's up there. He'd be in top ten. He just wouldn't be in my top five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, hey, he's a dynamic player. There's no question about it. And he, it's, it's he, not just dynamic, though. It's, it's everything else, every intangible that comes with it. Like w- he was sitting there in TD Garden after game two and he was being interviewed post game after they won. He's like, you think we're going to back down just because they're the best regular season team in history? Like, who cares? I love that approach, that attitude, and I think that's filtered through the rest of this team. If you gave me one word to describe game five in Boston for the, the Panthers, it was fearless. They don't care. They're not phased at all by this vaunted Bruins team or lineup, no. even though they have way more depth at every position. Yeah, but they also need their goalie to stand on his head, right? Do they? I mean, they every time Boston scored, the, the Panthers had an answer. Yeah, no, that no. Hey, their their resiliency to bounce back, no question, was a was a main factor. Uh, the resiliency in, to even get in the playoffs is something. They were nine yeah. points out the week of Christmas. Yeah, but we could argue that they'd been one of the more disappointing teams, right? They also got outshot, Frank, almost two to one. Like, weren't the shots like 45, 27? Yeah, they were opportunistic, no doubt. 25. And the yeah. way they scored the OT winner, opportunistic for sure. But I, I'm just saying, like, I like him being at the forefront and center of whatever they're doing next. Oh, Hey, he's, he's, he's kind of taken over Barkoff is, you know, compared to the years he's had in the past, like Florida's doing cartwheels. Kachuk came in because he single-handedly was the reason they got to the playoffs this year. They had so many other guys not play well, but Florida, I, I said it all year long. I thought they were the most underachieving team and they did get to the playoffs and, um, they still got a lot of talent, right? Um, Barkov, Bobrovsky's we showed it last night. Um, obviously Kachuk. I like their depth guys. So hey, they they could they'll they'll push Boston. I, I don't think they're gonna win the series, but no. um I wouldn't be stunned if, if they managed to force a game seven. I just don't see the Bruins losing three in a row. So Barkov can wear the C. Um but I think it's pretty obvious who the captain is there. Yeah, fair. Um, Rangers, Devils. It's been a, it's been a road warrior series. Uh, the Rangers won the first two. Not that the road's very far from each other, but they won in New Jersey. The Devils win in, the, in uh, New York. Uh, the Rangers, their power play has uh, gone quiet, and, and they've struggled. But, you know, like New Jersey, they look like a young team in the first two games. 
And it's like, they're like, okay, now we know how the playoffs go. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by this game tonight between these two teams. It, it oh. might kind of be the opposite of last year's Carolina Rangers series, where it was a, a, a Homer series until game seven. And so far, you know, I wonder if it becomes a road uh, uh, series until game seven again. I, I mean, look, the Rangers have a million reasons to be fired up and their coach certainly lit a fire under their ass with what he said publicly. I can't even imagine what he said privately. I mean, he's taken them to task. Um, and I think it's fair. They haven't been good enough the last two games. Yeah. I, I think more than that, like, I just don't, I have real concerns about their style. And I, and I don't mean structure. I mean, like, are, does that team play a conducive enough game and, 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 conscientious game to really be a successful deep playoff run team. Like, and I say that because they got to the conference final last year and they could beat the devils this round. And whoever wins this round probably beats the Carolina hurricanes next round. So they could be right back there again. But when you watch Artemi Panarin blow the zone, how many times in his own end and all these other guys that are looking for the glory and the, and the home run pass and they don't work hard back. I just, I, I, I have real questions about their ability to go on a deep run. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I love their blue line. Obviously I really like their goaltending. Um, you know what? You, you have one or two plays a game where you're right. You need a little bit more, maybe uh, defensive awareness from some of their guys. Uh, and so if one guy's going, the other two have to make sure they're not. And I think that's going to have to be the key for them moving forward. Um, Cause the thing is the devil's like Timo Meyer hasn't made a real big impression yet in this series. And I think he's more than capable of doing that for New Jersey. So uh, I mean, I, as much as those, their elimination games tonight, I think this Ranger devil's game is just as intriguing to me. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated to watch it. Got the PVR going. So I'll have the two games on at once. And uh, this is, I, this game just interests me because they're very different teams in, in how they play. And, you know, obviously the Jack Hughes factor in, in New Jersey is, has become a player that's highly entertaining to watch. Yes. So um, I, uh, there's lots of storylines for this one and it's, you know, game five, we, we know what the history tells you if you win game five. Doesn't guarantee anything, but um, gives it. And the other thing that's unique tonight, Frank, is if one of the Jets and Lightning win, it'll be only the fifth time in NHL history that uh, seven series have gone at least six games. And if both of them win, it'll be the uh, third time and first since 1992 that all first-round series uh, all go at least six-plus games. Wow. Yeah, I was thinking it's amazing that no one's been able to make short work of anyone. Yeah. I guess the Leafs have the best chance. Well, Vegas. And Vegas. Right? I, think, yeah. I think I probably have. I just think Winnipeg is so injured that if I, if I had to give you betting odds, I have to think that Vegas, you know, Winnipeg has the bigger long shot odds to win tonight. Hmm. I'm sure. Ty will look that up and we'll get that when he comes in uh, uh, in, in, in a second. Um, the the other series, though, that. Got to talk Kraken. Come on. Yeah, hey, I was going to say the Seattle Kraken are now up three to two. Um, now, Kale McCarr is going to come back, and something tells me Kale McCarr is going to be like, guys, I'm really sorry that I had a, a massive brain fart here. I'm going to make up for it, and he's going to have a dominant game six. But give the Kraken credit. Um, you know, Grubauer has given them their best goaltending consistently over a five game stretch all season. 
And, uh, you know, they got a lot of scoring depth, but no um, Landeskog, no Nachushkin for Colorado. You throw in the fact that Kadri and Burakovsky, that's four of their top six guys from last year gone right now. Like this, this is a real test for Colorado. I just, I, I still think, you know, that their elite sk- skill is going to get them the victory. They remind me right now, Frank, of the Oilers versus LA last year, right? They lost game five at home. There's two, two. Then they go on the road. You know, you've got McDavid. You had Drysaddle. That's They've a really McDavid interesting comparison. And Rantanen and um, McCarr. I just think the big guns and history tells you usually those big guys show up. Doesn't always guarantee it. We saw Tampa in 19 and Detroit in 06 lose. But um, I just, McKinnon, like, uh, he's a bold. You talked about Kachuk. McKinnon's a freak come playoff time. And he even said it last night. He goes, hey, he didn't like the non-call. And I think he had a valid point about it. I thought that's a call that I could understand why he'd want it. But then I like what he said right after. He goes, I got to keep my cool. So I, I think McKinnon and McCarr are two guys who feel like maybe they let their teammates down in game five. One for his you know, lack of composure and the other guy for not playing because of a lack of composure in game four. I think that it's going to be a rocking place. Though Seattle, their fans are going nuts. I love it. They're booing Macar all the time. There's already some animosity. That's going to be a great game on Friday night. It's going to be an unreal game. the The atmosphere has already been excellent in Seattle. And look, I give the Kraken so much credit. Like Me too. they, first off, they've gotten goaltending for the first time in franchise history, really. Grubauer has been really good. I don't know if this has been a revenge game, revenge series, I should say, uh, going up against the Avs. Uh, they're timely scoring, like the depth of their scoring, 13 different goal scorers now in five games. Like That's crazy. Um Ty Cartier, the latest one, makes his NHL debut in place of McCann. They have their leading score, and not just by a little bit, but by a wide margin, out with injury. 40 goals for McCann this year. The next closest Kraken player was 24. And Cartier comes in, scores. You know, every time you turn around, it's Will Borgen, it's whoever, it's some random Kraken player that you get a timely goal from. And I don't know how sustainable that is, and I don't know how sustainable it is missing McCann for a significant stretch if he's out for game six and beyond. But, man, that team works its ass off. They're confident in themselves. And I think they play a real, true team identity. They don't – there are no stars to hang your hat on. There's no superstar. It's just a collection of good players that have come together to be collectively more than themselves. Is that a fair way to put it? They, I thought Colorado would would be the one series that could could have the potential to be the shortest. And Seattle. They were going to blow their doors off. I predicted a sweep. Yeah. They've uh, Seattle. I, Seattle has shown a lot of people there's more there. And also, like, I thought Colorado coming into the playoffs, I said, I said, they're not the beast like they were last year. They don't have the depth that that they had last season. They're still good. But last year, they were just a juggernaut, right? And uh, they could easily still go to the cup final. But, heck, they could lose in the first round. They could lose in the second round. They're not, like, they're not a lock like they were last year in the eyes of most people. And so that's, you know, that makes them a little vulnerable. But they still have those three elite players. and, And I still... Until they lose, Frank, I'm going to run with the elite guys. Like Seattle could upset them, but I still I see Colorado in a similar vein to Edmonton last year. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I'm telling you, that's one of the best comparisons you've made. That they can, you know, they can really make a statement and feel like they're trending in the right direction. But when it comes time, push comes to shove, the Avs' big guns just step up and, and you know, basically put you out. Yeah. Um, Dallas, Minnesota. Um, Dallas just seemingly has kind of taken that, that series over here uh, a little bit. I know they've had some time off. Uh, Edmonton LA series fans are probably like, when are they playing again? Well, Edmonton and LA have another day off due to scheduling of the building. But either one of those series, uh, mini or LA, you give either one of those teams a chance, are they done? Um, I, I think both are done, but I give mini more of a chance than LA. Yeah. Yeah. Edmonton seems to have figured out Corpus Allo and um, they got a little bit of their mojo back offensively. Their power play is ridiculous, um, at, which it's been good, but 57%. There's only five other five times in NHL history has a team had 50% in a series. Uh, the highest being 52. Do you know who the highest is, Frank? Who's you that? covered it. Flyers? Flyers Penguins 2012. Oh yeah. That was one of the craziest two weeks of my life. They had 14 power play goals and 23 chances. That series was epic. 27. An epic series in every which way. Yeah. No, sorry, 12 and 23. They were 52.2%. I think we saw multiple goalies in every game. Yes. Yeah, it was a crazy game. Crazy series. And the and the like everyone forgets the Penguins had like legitimate Stanley Cup. Like that was like not that long after their 2008-09 yeah. you know, back-to-back cup final runs. And that was part of their string of, like, first-round failures where they went through so much. That series, in, like, the the hatred, the uh, vitriol, all the things that played out in that series before it happened, the coaches going toe-to-toe in game 81 or 82 of the regular season on the bench and pointing at each other. And, like, it was just – it was awesome. Yager playing in that series for the Flyers, like against the Penguins, like it was so good. Yeah, well, that was Malkin the year he won the uh, won the heart and everything, and he, he, you know, he was great in that series, even though they lost. I think he had like nine or eight points in, in six games, but yeah, that's the one. I, that the number was quite surprising: fifty-two percent, uh, twelve goals, and twenty-three chances. So. Uh, Edmonton has a chance to uh, to break that mark. We'll see. And then uh, the New York Islanders went on the road in Carolina, and we talk about goalies who can win games, man. Them at home, that's going to be a tough out because right now, Frank, the Hurricanes are really struggling to score five on five in that series. That new? I mean, well, to this level, it is like they're the worst team in the league in the, in the playoffs five on five. But they entered as one of the worst teams in the re- in the league at five on five scoring, didn't they? In the last six weeks of the regular season. Oh yeah. I'd have to look that up. Because- <clears throat> so I don't, I don't think it's a new development. You take out the three scores that they have and you could say Patrick doesn't really count. Cause he only played five games this year, but Svechnikov and Tara Vinen, like it's a really tough. Oh it's yeah. A tough situation. Like they're, I think they've got the most detrimental injuries right now outside of Winnipeg. And so they may hang on it. Like I said, and win this series. I just don't think they win the next round. Yeah, it's actually the Devils. My apologies. The Devils are the worst. They only have three goals, five on five in four games, but they've won two games. So. Well, yeah, they, they've also had Akira Schmidt, who's been unbelievable. Oh, yeah. He's only given up one in each of the games he's played. So Yeah, you don't need to score much when you only give up one. It's very true. Uh, let's welcome uh, Tyler Uremchuk to the pod. Ty, how you doing? 
I'm doing good. I think you would both like to know today is cat food day. Oh, I'll be there watching. I will be in the show. What what time is that at? Uh, noon Mountain Time. And what um, wet or what, dry? What, what delicious mix did you pick? So I kind of got roasted for it yesterday, but I just went to the grocery store and I was like, "Okay, hey, my goal is to pick something that sounds the most like human food." Because like some <laughs> listeners dropped off cat food to the office. And it was like tuna, and it's like I wouldn't eat tuna prepared for a human. Oh, God. So like I'm not eating tuna prepared for a cat. Uh, so my goal going to the grocery store was something that sounds like human food. I have a chicken dinner in gravy, but reading the ingredients, oh, there is also no. some pork and liver in there. God, that's gonna be disgusting. It's the gravy part that grossed me out. Chicken dinner in gravy. Oh God. Yeah. So what are you like? What are the like? It's a tablespoon of, of cat food you're eating, right? Yeah, yeah that's just what gonna, I was gonna ask. Just gonna get a heaping tablespoon of it and slide her down there. Gonna have a nice <laughs> cold beer next to me, probably to wash it down. Bruins fans should watch this uh, in case anybody. Ty said he'd eat cat food if the Bruins won the division. Yeah, <laughs> and then they went on to have the best regular season ever. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't even fucking close. Anyways, uh, so yeah, that's going on today. So apologies if I'm uh, a little bit distracted, I guess. But you were uh, asking about the series bets for cur- yes. curtis- courtesy of our friends at Botano. So I'll actually rattle them all off for you because there are some that's in- that are interesting. I'll give you the underdogs. The Lightning are nine to one to come back against the Leafs. The Jets are nine to one to come back against the Golden Knights. Uh, the wow. Avs are one and a half to one, so plus one fifty to beat the Kraken. Devils Rangers is still a pick 'em. The Panthers are only six to one to come back against the Bruins, which I found surprising. The Islanders are three to one, and then both the Wild and the Kings are four and a half to one in their series. So uh, I don't know if any of those jump off the page to you guys. So the they're giving the Islanders bet. Well, I guess they're all three to two, but they have the Islanders better odds than the other two. Interesting. Well, yeah. Sorokin factor I think I makes think sense, so. and Carolina's injuries. So yeah, that, none of those are really a shocker to me, other than. Winnipeg isn't a longer shot than Tampa. That'd be the only one to me, just because of their injuries. Yeah, that's fair. Frank, any of those jump off the page to you? Oh, I nine to one. I'd be taking the. What are those implied odds? Ooh, um, I think it's like below ten percent. Yeah, I mean sure. NHL history. It is 10%. I think is. Yeah, NHL history is. Even I believe twelve percent. Of the time, teams down three to one have come back to win the series. So it might even be worth just taking a stab on both those nine to one teams and being like, "Hey, one of them." Like it kind of feels like every year we get one comeback, right? Yeah, I think the problem is a lot of teams can get to game seven and then lose game seven. Yeah. That's the real tough part. Yeah, no, that is uh, that is fair. They do have odds on those series going just seven as well. Our friends at Patano.ca. The game starts now with Patano. They got it all covered over there. Uh, but I want to take things a different direction today for fill in the blank. Frank, this week you dropped your new or your first trade targets board of the offseason. Eric Carlson sitting at number one. And I'll just rattle off the top ten here for people listening who haven't had a chance to go to Daily Faceoff and check off the full list of 20. But it then goes Kevin Hayes, Sam Gerrard, Elias Lindholm, JT Miller, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Simply a St. Louis Blues defenseman, which I like. Ross Colton and Taylor Hall at number 10. So the first question after hearing the top 10, who's the most surprising name on Frank's trade list, Jason? Well, good question. Um, 
most surprising. I'm going to, well, it's definitely not JT Miller. Um, I will say most surprising. I'll probably go with Hall. Um, I, if I have to pick most surprising, just in, you know, it doesn't have a grossly high cap hit. Um, you know, he's been very productive for them. And the fact that, you know, like I know he's not a center, but are Krejci and Bergeron coming back next year? If not, you know, they're going to have to move some pieces around and they're going to need some top six forwards. And I think he's still a top six forward. So he would be the guy, I guess, I'm a little surprised. Frank, as you were doing your research, who was the name that popped up that you were like, damn, this guy's available? Um... Well, probably the most intriguing one for me is what happens with the Calgary Flames and Elias Lindholm. Like, his hesitation when asked the question at Locker Cleanout Day about whether or not he'd be willing to re-sign in Calgary, I thought there was a lot <clears throat> a lot to read between the lines. And more than that, I, I believe him to be one of a handful of players who has vocally expressed to the Flames that he's he doesn't really want to play for Daryl Sutter anymore. So now that he needs a new contract and he's such a good player that his, his value relative to cap is enormous. His cap is only 4.85. This is a, you know, he could be a 75.80 scorer with the right players and scores goals and plays in his own end. Well, like he's significant value for the flames. There's a number of complicating factors here though. One, who's the next flames GM going to be is Daryl Sutter Two, definitely going to be back and three, if those things are the right answers for Elias Lindholm, is he willing to resign? And what does it cost? And are the four are the Flames willing to enter the season if they don't resign him with him on an expiring contract? I would think the answer is no. That's why he's pretty high up on the list at number four. And because it seems like we are trending towards Daryl Sutter returning, though not guaranteed. Um so it's an intriguing piece. But to answer your question on Taylor Hall, um, Jay, I don't think anyone has really, from a fan base perspective, really firmly grasped the hell that the Bruins are in with Whoa. their cap. Yeah. They have a $4.5 million overage for next season that essentially, like, if let's say the cap is $83.5 bucks to make it simplistic, the Bruins are starting with a $79 million ceiling. So on top of that, uh, they have essentially 10 guys that they need to re-sign, 10 positions that they need to fill out with only like $10 million in total cap space. So the reason Hall makes the board, they're probably going to have to make a tough decision on their back end with either Grizzlick or Carlo. But Hall at $6 million bucks, as currently constituted – his point production last year doesn't – he didn't even make it to a $6 million player. I know that he's been great in the playoffs, but 16 goals, 20 yeah. assists. He played – he missed 20 games, so that's a 48-point pace. That's still not quite up to $6 bucks. So I think right now he's just a luxury that the Bruins can't afford and that some other team out there, though, is saying, well, it's not a gross overpayment and there's only two years left. You know, will – We'll take him off your hands. Yeah. So and, and his no move list drops to ten from sixteen, right? So yeah, I mean, I, like if you're the Bruins, would you rather keep and re-sign Tyler Bertuzzi or keep Taylor Hall? Like, I think that's like one of those questions that's going to come down to it. My guess is they try and re-sign Bertuzzi. Okay. 
Now, I'd said 4.5 earlier. I got my numbers mixed up. 4.5 was their dead cap space. The number was in my head, but it's six for Hall. Yeah. Uh, all right. Five names in the top five. Like I said, Miller, Lindholm, Gerard, Hayes, Carlson. The player who is the biggest lock to get moved is blank, Frank. Um. Ooh, that's a, that's a different question. I would say Kevin Hayes. Really? Yep. Hmm. I thought. See, I thought you were going to go Miller or Carlson, but Hayes. Is no, I don't think Miller's a lock at all, and I think the reason why is he played really well. Talkit under likes Rick Tockett, forty-one points in thirty-five games. Um. And I also just think the contract is really difficult to move. Like the Canucks don't want to retain on that salary. And the question teams have to ask themselves is, would we sign JT Miller today to a seven times eight contract pretending if he's a free agent? And then if the answer is yes, you have to take it a step further and say, okay, what are we willing to give the Canucks in order to quote unquote, sign him to that deal? So, becomes a tough proposition for the Canucks. They value the cap space. They want to compete next year and be a playoff team. And they need something in return. Like it's, I don't think it's a lock at all. And I also wonder how complicated the transaction becomes now, now that you know that Pittsburgh has changed regimes and the one team that was really interested is no longer. Yeah. Yeah. See, for me, I think the obvious guy to move is, is uh, Sammy Gerard in, uh, in Colorado. Um, we, we've talked about their lack of depth right now due to trades and injuries. And then you throw in, look at the abs and how many forwards they have, right? Comfort, Ellers, Rodrigue, all these guys are, are UFAs. They're going to need some forwards. And so they're going to want to sign some of them. It's not that they don't like Gerard. I just think it's, you know, similar to Frank's point about Boston. When you just look at your team, they got Taves. They got really good defensemen. And, you know, they won the cup without Gerard. No offense to him, but they did. And I think that, you know, you can move the puck. He's a good defender. Yeah, he's small. But I think teams would look at him. Uh, he doesn't have a terrible cap hit and say, hey, here's a guy who can come play 20 minutes for us on defense, and uh, that'll free up some money for them to spend on Forbes. It's actually a great cap hit. Like, if you're a team that likes Sam Girard, and and I think there are questions out there about his, you know, sort of being one of those undersized guys, but he's 24 and has four more seasons at $5 bucks. Like, it's eminently reasonable, and I think there's real value there for the Avs to seize upon to get something really good in return to also alleviate their cap issues. Interesting. Uh, so with that, I'm surprised neither of you said Eric Carlson. So I'll give you one more true fill in the blank question. The or Carlson has a blank percent chance of being moved this summer. Jason. Well, it's a good question because it comes down to a, does he ask for a trade? He hasn't asked for one yet. I think there's a good chance he might. Um, but then it comes down to, you know, retention and how much does San Jose want to retain? Uh, I'm going to say, 30% chance he gets dealt. Yeah, I'm going to say 25. I'm going to say even less. Uh, I was leaning towards 20. I just don't have a real firm grasp that the Sharks have properly valued the idea of getting off of Carlson's contract. They really need to shift their expectations and the way they're looking at this deal because – Asking for three first-round picks from the Oilers, which they did a number of months back, it told me that they don't get it. 
if the Oilers were going to give them, like, they first off, they couldn't make the deal happen, even at nine million bucks or seven and a half. The Oilers would have had to take seven and a half or nine off their roster, plus give you three first round picks. It's not happening. So, unless they, I, and I get that he's a hundred point defenseman and had a magical year. But watch what his trade value looks like if he goes out next season and, quote, only has 65 points. This It's now or never. You either rip off yep. the Band-Aid and you, you find a way to move him and cut your losses, or you head into next season, and if he's just okay, which is entirely possible because that's what he looked like the last few years, you're stuck with him for the rest of that contract. And that's the Russian roulette you're playing. Definitely is a gamble. Uh, those were the fill-in-the-blank questions I had for this week. But I want to wrap up with just kind of this, Frank. Like, as you looked around and started to preview the offseason, does the fact that this free agent class, like, it looks very weak, does that make the trade market even spicier this summer? Like, could we see some, like, oh, out-of-nowhere yeah. moves? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, I think this is this is going to be one of the spiciest trade markets we've had in years because of that. Teams can improve themselves by significant ways in free agency. And I think more than that, teams don't really want to. Teams have gotten a lot smarter when it comes to free agency. The best players are all being locked up to extensions. The ones that are making it to free agency are either through cap casualties or because they've determined that they can live without that player. And if one team is making that determination, you should be wise enough to connect the dots and say, oh, well, then do we really need to go crazy signing this guy? So trades are are really trades and draft are the only way to really improve your team, I believe, in a significant way. Can you get better on the margins? For sure. But is it going to ham up your cap? How many teams, Jason, do we see getting big trouble with Four and a half, five, six million dollar players every time. Oh, dude, I, I've written every year stop overvaluing the middle tier players. They're good. And those are the ones who get the big overpayments that, that end up crushing your team. The great players very rarely fall off a cliff. Now, Eric Carlson had some tough years because he was injured. That's a fact. He was injured. Now that he's healthy, he's back to being elite players. And elite players, even if they slide a bit, are still very, very good. It's when your good players slide, then they become anchors of contracts. And we can go through the list of them in free agency. And so there's always one or there's always one or two teams. It's like, oh, we got the money. So they're going to spend. And and then of course the other free agents want to try to compare to that contract, but it's always the outlier. And so the other thing about the whole summer is what happens with the cap. Is the cap only going up one? Or do they jump it to three? Because if they jump it to three, I think that will encourage even more moves. Well, good news if you're a fan of the cap going up that the Toronto Maple Leafs might advance to round two. There you go. Extra boost in the hockey-related revenue. I thought we were on the brink of you guys fighting about Eric Carlson again, and I personally cannot take another argument like that. So I'm going to wrap up this segment now. Uh, That'll do it for this week's edition of Fill in the Blank. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, that was fun, by the way. That was no, one of the most great. enjoyable pods we've had. Yeah, uh, dailyfaceoff.com if you want to see the uh, the entire uh, top 20 list uh, for Frank. There's some guys on there. Uh, you know, Kevin LeBanc, it's interesting. The Sharks have the Eric Carlson, and then at number 20, they have LeBanc. Um, he's really – he's one year left at 4.725. I just think it's a it's a tough guy to deal. Not sure there's much interest. Um, you know, there's lots of defensemen, though, on your list, Frank. You got Tyler Myers. You got Sean Walker, Matt Greslick, Alex Martinez. You know, solid players. And, uh, you know, you also have, though, Michael uh, Granlin, who was just picked up by oh. Pittsburgh. That's the one that made me chuckle. Uh, well, I just they, – they don't have any cap space. Like, they they got to find a way to, to move that deal, I think. One goal in 21 games as a Penguin? Uh, hard he's, to become be- a, he's become a four-letter word there in Pittsburgh. Well, hard to trade it. He just falls in the exact category we talked about, right? Like, well, and that's the other thing too. Like, I think what's most fascinating about this top twenty is who isn't there now that will be there. We don't know who the GM is in Calgary. We don't yeah. know who the GM specifically is in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, potentially Ottawa, potentially Toronto. Like, there's a million things that could happen between now and the next two weeks, let alone now and July one when free agency opens. Yeah, and then you always wonder teams who, who who maybe have a disappointing run as far as their playoff aspirations when it started, how that changes now that, oh, we really need this piece. And so, um, you know, I, I always look forward to the offseason. Um, this year in Nashville, I think it's a little spicier, Frank, because everything's there. The award ceremony, the draft, they're, they're together there longer. Lots more face-to-face talks around uh, local bars potentially uh, could lead to a little extra spice. That could lead to some DFO rundowns in person with Jason and Tyler and Frank. And I booked my flights, man. I'm coming to Nashville. Many, I can't many, wait. many beverages. I'm there for like, it's been the longest time. God help me. I'm going to have to train. Yeah, well, get your liver in order. It's going to be hot, though, too. That's the other thing. Warm. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not, not a fan of that. Yeah, no, uh, no muscle shirts for Frank. I'm like a sausage encasing, just sweating everywhere. Is it that humid in Nashville? Yes. It's in, disgusting. Oh, oh, God. Like New York, August, September? Worse. Oh, God. Well, hey, guess the, uh, it'll be a little bit different than the dry heat I'm used to. So, um, you know, good. The pores will uh, the pores will like it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. It's easy to shave. 
easier to shave. So that's a bonus. Frank, uh, enjoy the games and uh, we'll see uh, how many series wrap up by Monday. Uh, how many are six or seven gamers? We'll see. I hope we got a few game sevens um, scheduled. It, it looks that way. I'd be surprised if all of these series finish in six. I think the Rangers Devils has got seven games written all over it. And uh, uh, something tells me the Islanders are going to push theirs to seven as well. Mm. We'll see. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.